Shut up and sit down. Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your hosts, Tim and Carter. What's trending in Richards? Carter Wilcoxie, founder of CSI Financial Group here with my co-host and former wealth advisor, Tim James, founder of chemicalfreebody.com and your new health advisor. This is the show where we reveal the connection between physical and financial abundance. Hey, welcome back in Richards, Carter Wilcoxon, coming to you from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, as is normal. And also, as is normal, I am joined by my phenomenal chemical-free body himself, Mr. Tim James. Timmy, how are you, buddy? Doing good, Carter. Glad to be back in the seat with a new new guest. Uh, weather's still good over here in Eastern Oregon right now, but I know we got winters coming. Have you guys started seeing the leaves fall down? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, you know, obviously here in Phoenix, we uh, are trying to cool down a little bit. It was in the upper 90s today, which is nice and cool, which makes it <laughs> crazy to some of the, uh, you know, enrichers that are out there listening uh, in Phoenix. But, you know, football season just kicked off, so fall's right around. Um, and this is, uh, I guess, the, the first podcast since uh, football season actually started. So I'm pretty excited about having our guest on today. And, Richards, you are. Uh, in for a treat, I want to go ahead and bring in Mr. Brock Eason. Uh, Brock, how are you doing today, my man? Doing great, Carter. Good to be with you. Yeah, well, you know, we we just spoke recently, and uh, I, I was very intrigued by your, you know, some of your backstory and some of the, you know, some of the recent developments that have happened with your within your practice and everything. But you know, as is traditional here at uh, the Health and Wealth Podcast Show, and again, and Richards, thank you for joining us for another episode. Uh, we want to get back into your backstory. You know, we want to find out what was, you know, some of your influences, some of your uh, original directions that might have given you uh, a sense that you had this heart for wanting to help people, right? In the financial advisory space, that's what you do on a on a regular daily basis, right? So, you know, take us back a little bit in the way way machine and uh, and share with the enrichers what brought you into the business in the first place. Yeah, I think um, I think the best place to start would similar to your other guests. I think uh, my my motivation to originally get into the financial service business, I started in the bank, um, and so in the bank channel, you know, you're 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 doing other things besides providing financial services. My my main motivation was because I was scared to death of not knowing how money worked. Um, it seemed like this big thing that was. You know, they didn't teach it in school and it's kind of hard to get your hands around all these terms that you encounter, you know, whether it's lending or investing or insurance and you you could just, you know, feel how it bewildered people. I experienced that when I was uh, helping some of the bank customers and um, I just, I felt like, gosh, I really need to get my hands around this. This is an invaluable life skill knowing how money works. And so that was the original motivation. Um it after a few years in banking, I uh, signed on with New England Financial, New England Life Insurance Company, and like a lot of the the financial advisors, I you know I was told to build a list of family and friends, and you're starting from scratch. And you know they were very upfront about the fact that the the success rate is not high. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. So um, so then. From from New England Financial, which it's interesting. I think I'm almost positive. Um, when I moved to Arizona, the very first financial advisor I had was with New England Financial, and that was 
26 years ago. Wow. So, so from there, um, you, you segue into more of the independent advisory space. And, um, because from what I remember, that was more of like a captive organization. I, I can't remember exactly what it was like, but so how did you uh, transition out from that captive and then ultimately into, uh, you know, your own practice? I think for starters, I spent six years in management after my first four years kind of building a practice from scratch. I had the the unique privilege of being able to go into this this original firm with New England Financial. Historically, it's been a very high performing firm. And so I got a very early look at more advanced planning insurance strategies. And it happened to be at a time where a lot of the senior advisors left. A couple passed away. Um, many retired, some changed firms. And so I was kind of left with, you know, I, hey, I just started here and everybody left. Is there something wrong? You know, and I didn't I didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, from there, uh, I, I had some help early on and I, I really credit, you know, staying in the business early on to some of this help. I got to work with some of those people that no longer had an advisor. Mm. So it was kind of like a an early win just by showing up. I don't mean to minimize that I didn't have to make calls or work hard, but I, you know, I, I had that, that um, it was just some early help that really helped a lot. Um, yeah. So, so you were able to, you know, kind of sort of step right in and, you know, timing is what it is and, you know, you got to benefit from that, right? Yes, completely. Um, and then four, four years after, after that, um, they, I, I like to say it, they tricked me into management. <laughs> And so from there, you start to develop a, a different set of skill sets. You learn, you know, who, who's going to make a good financial advisor? Who can you hire? What level of mentoring they need? Um, and you start you start to get into those those challenges. Of, oh, my gosh. You know, financial advisors are, you know, they're if, if they're successful, it's hard to keep the ego in check because so few people are successful. So learning to manage, you know, a, a group of people with egos was you know, definitely a learning curve, but it was a really valuable learning experience for me that we would get to later. Did that have any effect on your ego? Man, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I think it was so being somewhat it, it took a while to learn how to do that and be successful with it. I think it probably I walked away with an ego boost, but at the same time, it was humbling because, you know, you you would do all the right things with somebody, you'd coach them right about how to go out and, you know, sell themselves well. And then you could do everything right. And then it would fail completely. And then there were other people who were going to, they were going to do it well in spite of you. And so, you know, you know kind of maybe not train them as well as you wished, but they go be successful anyway. And so at the same time is also a reminder, like some of us just out of my control, so it's kind of an ego boost and ego check at the same time. That's a good question. Yeah. So I guess I just to go further on this, because the ego is a big part of like what we teach is that like you notice you had all these guys with this egos. I guess my to be more specific, I'm asking, were you able to then reflect on your ego and then be able to let go of more of that through that process, realizing it wasn't you saw it maybe not serving them as well? I, I was, think was I had to. So one book that was handed to me early on was John Maxwell's Five Levels of Leadership. Okay. Are you guys familiar with that at all? I am. Okay. So one of the one of the core principles in that is that 
you know, when, when you're given the position of leadership, that's great because somebody has confidence in you, but the benefits really stop there. And so to really get anything meaningful done with people, you've got to earn their per- permission and you do that by serving them. And so I would, I would just kind of take that and run with it and identify little ways where I could remove an obstacle from them. And so Tim, to your point, um, I, I think it just taught me that it, it taught me the idea of servant leadership, like, cause that's where, mm-hmm. that's where I really got the most traction with them. And ultimately to keep a team together in business, like the, the business interests have to be aligned, but there's gotta be some, some level of personal loyalty too, or just affinity for each other. Like we have a, a sense of shared purpose. And so you, you create that by, by serving them. Um, and I, and I watched a lot of my peer managers around town, around the industry, not do that as well. And it showed and that reputation, they developed that reputation. So, and, well, and then you don't get to, to John Maxwell's pinnacle of respect just doesn't happen. No, you, you, you can't get there. You know, you have to work through those steps. I think like a lot of financial advisors, one, one area I struggled in is getting the team to be productive. Like I was pretty effective. You know, you'll hear, you'll hear Maxwell talk about, you know, you tend to either lean to prioritize relationships or lean to prioritize tasks and project production. I tend to be the former. And so when it comes time to make the team productive, it's can you hold people accountable, but do it in a way where you're serving them. And that that was a, a tough balance for me to learn. I, I learned it. I just just slower than I maybe would have liked. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. So I'm curious, Brock. Was there anything like early on um, where you grew up, you know, parental you know, you said there was a fear of not understanding how money worked. Was that something that was, you think, influenced at all from um, your youth growing up or anything? Uh, or, you know, share a little bit about, you know, where you grew up also. Um, yeah. So my parents divorced when I was seven. And I, I think part of the part of the root cause of that was just a lack of career direction in my between my parents. And it created, I think, just an awareness that you know, we were, we were among the have nots. Um, I could feel that even at a young age. And then um, when my mother remarried, you know, all of a sudden we had means that those means always seemed to come with expectations and uh, lack of transparency. Sometimes it just, it was a different style of living that I didn't really like either. And so I knew that I, I knew self-sufficiency had to be a life priority of mine, and I knew it even then. And so I think that, to your point, that drove me to to say, I got to figure this whole money thing out. And honestly, I, I it, the 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 desire to really help people came about once I saw if I could reduce um, obstacles and provide clarity to people in this career, like I could actually not only make a living, but do it in a way that provided me joy as I did that for other people that, that came shortly after. Yeah. I love that, uh, that whole entire sentiment. And, you know, that's, that's why we love, um, you know, the guests that come on the show because they really do have, and again, not to say that a transaction is not to occur, but you, you almost feel like you're being more transformational. Um, and that was the one thing that struck me when we had our initial conversation about, you know, you being a guest on the podcast, it was obvious to me that you do have this um, honest, sincere, you know, genuine 
sense of wanting to try to, you know, help people uh, just in general, whether you financially gain necessarily or not. But, you know, you might as well at the same time, if you can help people, you might as well be able to, uh, you know, make make a good living as well. It's It's got to be both. Um, I, I, you know, when I used to interview some of the young people that would want to cr- come into this career, it was clear to me that they really had a heart for helping people, but that they weren't personally motivated in a way that would really build a business. And so I don't know that clients at, at their, if, if you really get at their heart, want to, want to work with somebody who's not really driven to help them. Sure. And so it, I, that's why I, I think it's got to be both. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be win-win scenarios, right? Right. Yeah. The, well, the most successful advisors is always going to be, you know, a win-win. And, you know, we, we preach on a regular basis and, and teach and train this, right? You want to be able to get your prospects who ultimately become clients to buy into what you're doing, not buy from you, but they're buying into what it is that you're helping to accomplish for them. It's it's that whole idea that what what the the one idea that I'm really selling if, if I'm if I'm selling anything, it's the world is com- more complex than it's ever been. And you plus an advisor will make better decisions and it'll lead to better outcomes than just you alone. And once once that idea is there, it can underpin the rest of the conversation with a client. And that's where I usually start. And it, you can see it really has an effect uh, when, when people don't have clarity on something and then do and the relief that you feel from them. That's yeah. that's a really powerful experience for me. Yeah, that, that, it, it awesome. makes all the admin stuff worth it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, um, so you're you're in the Midwest. So, um, talk, you know, share with the enrichers a little bit about what it was like where you grew up, and then uh, ultimately, I know we'll get into the second segment of where you're at now. Uh, you know, you know, talk a little bit about how that might have had any influence on on your uh, personal values and things of that nature as well. Yeah, so I I, I grew up. Um, I spent time in. Missouri. I spent time in most of the time actually was in North Alabama. Um, And I was just, I I was around, um, I can say this, I was pushed, so to speak, um, that, you know, the the idea was to send me to law school. Mm. And at the time, uh, this was 19, I'm sorry, this is like maybe 2000, early 2000s, 2002, 2003. uh, And this is, you know, right after the dot com bubble and then crash. And so that when I graduated in 2003, the job market wasn't great. And so I looked around and I'm looking at my friends and and like every one of them has plans to go to law school. And so my economic brain is going, now, wait a minute, think about supply and demand here, Brock. And, you know, that was kind of a career goal for me. And I'm glad I didn't do that. I said at the last minute, like, I don't know if I want to make this investment of time and money into law school. Um, I want to find something different to do. And so I, I think just watching what was going on in the world led me to, to go sort of financial instead of legal. Um, and that's that's where I got my foot in the door, actually, as a teller at a bank. That's where I started. Wow. Look, look at there. So um, you, you've gone to, from that uh, to where you're at today and, you know, very, very exciting stuff that I know we're going to get into in the uh, in the second segment here. Uh, sure, like I see we're coming up against the clock fairly soon. Tim's going to cut us off probably here any second, but. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, um, you know, t- 
Tim knows I always do this. Did you happen to play any sports growing up um, that also helped with some of the like collaborative mindset that you, it sounds like you've got? I played basketball and soccer. And funny enough, I stopped playing soccer at 13 and just a few years ago started playing again at the age of 38. So I'm 42 now and I play on, for a few years now, I've played on men's soccer teams. So men's over 30 and men's over 40. So it reminds me that I think it makes me a better teammate having is it outdoor or indoor or both uh, outdoor. Oh, cool. Cool. So this, so, so it's, you, you, know, you guys take a break in the winter. Uh, we take a break, break in the winter. We've got a fall season and a spring season, but it's, you know, full length halves and full length field. And oh wow, cool. It takes some effort, man. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a big field to run around on. That's awesome. You're telling me. And you're, well, you're you're in shape. This is a, they, they don't call it the Health and Wealth Podcast for nothing, right? You- <laughs> that's that that's right. You can't be you can't show up unprepared. The, the the funny part is, you know, guys that they turn thirty and they can't wait to join this league. They haven't played in eight years, um, but they get out there and pull a hamstring immediately because they don't recognize they're thirty and they don't stretch and warm up. And, yeah, you know. Well, we've had uh, we actually have a, a one of the world's top soccer players on doing some of our strategies and taking uh, at least one of our products that I know of and is completely like, you know, they're back and playing again and kicking butt. So um, might have to share some of that stuff with you. Cool. Please give you some unfair advantages. As long as they're ethical. I don't, I can, I can Actually, should, ethical, I say unfair nat- advantages. I like that. Well, we'll both we'll call it this. It should be called the natural. We'll give you the natural advantage. That's what it is. There Just, we go. There we go. There we go. Uh, All right. Well, I guess that's the perfect time. We're going to take a quick break, guys. We get back. We'll get into more of what Brock's over, what he's doing over there to help people keep their money safe and protect and growing. We'll be right back. Estate planning. What does that even mean? When the inevitable happens for everyone on this planet, your estate plan kicks into action. But first, let's start with what an estate is. An estate is simply everything you own. Now, here's the issue and what needs to be understood when this event occurs. You only have two choices on this plan. Number one, either you plan how your estate gets handed out and distributed to those you leave behind. Or number two, your state decides who gets everything you own. For the first time ever, you can now take complete and total control of this plan that you've been deprived of for most of your life and generations before you. You can get personalized assistance along the way with a team of specialists whose job it is to make sure you have true peace of mind. It's important to understand that estate planning is a journey and rest assured that our team will be available to you all along the way and at every step. Welcome to eState Plan, home of the last estate plan you'll ever need. To learn more, make sure to reach out to your local advisor licensed with us or go to our website for more information. What's up, Enrichers? Tim James here. I'm back with my co-host, Carter Wilcoxon. So, Brock, um, got to learn a little bit about you. Um, 38 years old, running around the soccer field. Uh, that's awesome that you have. Um, you're, I just love it that you're you're doing that because I know that's going to make your brain function better for your clients. Like, if I was to hire a financial advisor and I had my choice between a guy that's the you know chair potato um, and overweight and stuff, or a financial advisor that's healthy, I'd probably 
be leaning towards the healthier one. Cause I know literally that's going to affect brain function. So have you noticed that actually that, um, like you, I mean, you, you get an endorphin rush and like you get through your days better. Did you have a big office? I mean, is there a lot of, do you have a lot of other agents there with you? Uh, we've got, so there's three other advisors and then two staff. Okay. Well, and, they're probably going to listen to this. So I don't want to hammer on. I was like, Hey, do you got some, <laughs> some guys over there that are just lazy, you know, <laughs> But um, you see it in the industry that's like a lot of the advisors just, uh, you know, they've let their health go. And it's unfortunately because, because you know, that ego gets in the way we were talking about earlier. It's like, oh, I made it. I'm making it. And I just keep making more money and things are good. I got good clients. They're doing well. And then, you know, you start having gut issues or you have cancer or you have a heart attack. And it's kind of and it just kind of makes everything puts everything in perspective. And you work your butt off 10, 20, 30, 40 years and all of a sudden. If you don't have your health, you have zero, you have nothing, you know? Uh, so it's, it's just, I'm really glad that you're doing that. Have you noticed that benefiting your practice by you getting back into the soccer? Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I notice on, you know, we, we, we play soccer now on Monday nights. And so I notice my clarity level on Tuesday morning being much better. And so I do a workout with a friend on Tuesday morning too. So it's like, I, I'm, on it for, for, for a couple of days, yeah. my, my clarity level, I, I feel like I'm just much sharper mentally. Um, but then I also feel the reverse. If I, if I slack off the rest of the week from exercise, yeah, which some, you know, nobody's perfect. Right. So when on, on a week I do that less, well, I start to notice myself dragging more in the morning, being just less mentally ready for challenges. Um, I, I think, you know, I have to be in my role right now. I have to be very careful how I spend time. And what I what I notice is that as I parcel out tasks, the things that come naturally to me as a person, I can still do when I'm not sharp or I'm tired. It's yeah. the things that I have to do that I'm not naturally geared toward toward that I, my, my readiness level changes after I've done well with exercise. So yeah, well, you notice if you notice like I mean the way we put it was like when you work out in the morning you get that done it seems like the days just go easy but if you don't work out in the morning it seems like they're a little tougher. Yes. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's, always, it's, it's the same thing in Oregon as it is in Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works everywhere. Yeah, so uh so Brock let's get into a little bit about uh your at Investors Resource now and you've been there um, for just a few years, if I remember right, whenever we spoke originally, two months, two months, that's what it was a few months, two months. a few months, not even yep. a few, two, two whole months, right? Brand new. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so talk a little bit about, um, your attraction, number one to investors resource, and then ultimately, you know, like how it, your, your new role, uh, is, is, you know, going along with, the within the last, you know, first couple of months of being there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind just a couple of years. So, you know, I, I said I spent six years in management. Um, we had a, I was with MetLife at the time. I thought they did a pretty good job of um, kind of not not being transactional as far as the way that firm was built. Then we became part of Mass Mutual. We had some local changes made and it, it meant for me that I was going to have to not necessarily get out of management and leadership, permanently, but at that 
location. So I needed to make a change. And I went back to just solo individual practice, going back to just working with clients. And that's when I really made the shift into um, the RIA world. And so that for, that my my solo practice, owning my own practice really dates from that point. That was in November of 2020. And I say that because that's where I became more focused on instead of selling products and earning compensation from that, really learning to build enterprise value. And so I became a lot more concerned with, you know, I, I'd rather build something that that is valuable for me while I own it, but somebody else later. And so the seeds of that have to be planted. You know, it, it can't just be a passing thought. It's got to be something you hold as a core value. Uh, and that's what made me move to RIA world. Uh, the, the person that I partnered with two months ago is one of the larger advisors at my RIA. And, and my mission is exactly that, is building enterprise value. And part of that is that she's she's one of those people that's geared toward task oriented things and I'm geared toward relationship oriented things. And so you need that on the team if you're going to grow your team. And so yeah, that's a great balance, obviously, between the two of you and, and, you know, put your aces in your places, as they say. Right. And right. know your strengths, know your weaknesses. And you, it sounds like you guys complement each other very nicely. We very much do. And, and I would add to that, that I have I've not done that well in the past. I think um, there there have been partnerships that I've had in the past. I think naturally we gravitate toward people that think and operate like us. Is that a fair statement? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's comfortable to work with them. It's kind of self-validating. It, it, Tim, it pads the ego a little bit, right, to pick people to work with that are like us. When in fact, I don't know that that's the best thing for us. Sometimes we need to be able to work with people that think the opposite way of us because it complements your, you know, your strengths complement their weaknesses and vice versa. Right. But the key is you got to have a, a personal regard for each other to respect that about each other. And so it, that that's that's what really motivated. I think if I had to pick one thing that motivated me to, to make this change for me, uh, that would be it. All right. So, um, so your practice then, does it, uh, is it not, is it fee only is what you're doing now, or is it a blend between, you know, some of those, uh, insurance products that are obviously on the suitability side of the equation versus the fiduciary side of the equation? I call it fee mostly. <laughs> so, okay. so, um, m- most of us are, you know, registered with a broker dealer and the RIA. And so what we're, what we're really aiming at is, is building enterprise value. Clearly, the the advisory side of the business ser- is, it serves that better. Um, but but then I don't ever want to, you know, not meet a client's insurance need if that's there. Um, I I'm a believer that I'm, I'm not an RIA purist. Um, okay. I don't think I, I mean annuities rarely, not annuities never. Right. And so I, all of that is part of our practice here, and that's one of the things that my my new partner and I see eye to eye on. And so it's it's we're, we're we're trying to be able to meet the client needs that come up and and excluding one side of the business doesn't feel like a good way to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. So, um, well, how did uh, you and your business partner, um, how did you meet in the first place? If you because you were living somewhere completely different, and moved to Alabama, right? 
Yeah, I, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and she was living in Madison, Alabama, which is close to two hours to the north. Right. Okay. So we were we were separated, um, and I had to move my family. Um, that was you know that, that's a big change for all of us. Um, but we we met on a company trip, and it that was two years ago. And so there six months passed, and you know nothing really. I didn't hear from her. We we just met and talked casually, kind of on a company trip. And six months later, I found out that that she in fact had been looking for somebody with management experience that had been in the business a while that that kind of put financial planning first, you know, ahead of trying to make recommendations, let's do good financial planning for our clients first. Um, and so we, we identified, we held a lot of the same philosophies. Um, and it turns out that I, where I grew up in Alabama was actually Madison. So great if they're from the area. So it, it was kind of like a, and when I, for my part, when I took stock of, you know, what are, what are my skill sets? It's, it's working with people and in a way that serves them. And it's building a really long-term uh, foundation based on trust with the client. And so she needed help with her clients. And so I'm thinking like that we are a perfect fit for each other, provided that we can respect the differences, you know, in each other that, that we operate with. And so we spent, I think one of the, I'll, I'll, I'll note this. I think listeners would be interested to know this. So putting together and discussing our partnership, you know, she's kind of approaching me about partnering up and I'm thinking, like, is this, is this, this is going to be a really long discussion. Is it going to be worth it? You know, like, I kind of want to know what it looks like in terms of an opportunity for my family uh, earlier, but we actually slowed the discussion down and took time to really get to know each other. And, and I would do it that way again. It was against my, my gut reaction, but I'm, I'm glad in hindsight that we really took time to, to get to know each other. Nice. So, uh, so, She's had this practice, obviously, then for a, a while. How long um, has has her firm? She's the founder. Is that right? 30 years in the business. 30 years uh, that she's been around. Uh, mm-hmm. So she comes with a ton of experience. Yep. You guys complement each other very nicely. What is the uh, what's the makeup of the clientele uh, that's working with you guys? So uh, something unique to the the kind of the Huntsville Madison area you can kind of see it on a map it's in north central Alabama is that Huntsville is home to or one of the homes to the United States space program and so that intent that that attracts a lot of government investment uh it attracts a lot of con- contractors for the aerospace engineering aerospace industry which brings a lot of engineers here from all over the country hmm. And so she's been operating here, and and so you know what what you your your, t- your typical client here is you know maybe soon to retire or about to retire. They worked for NASA directly or for a NASA contractor for you know most most or all of their career. And so I'm I'm finding that that's a very typical um, that that's what the clientele looks like. It's mostly you know s- somebody that moved here and and worked in engineering. Gotcha. So, um, so are you working, uh, pretty much exclusively then 50 and up like boomer, pre-boomer, pre-retirees? Um, and sometimes you work with some of the millennials that, uh, or, do, or is that not really what the makeup is of that area? Um, there are plenty of the, the millennial age group. There are plenty here. I think, 
One, one thing I'm proud of that we do is uh, e- even even my partner at her size and experience level still is willing to work with, in fact, prioritizes working with the beneficiaries of our clients. And so what we'll often do for them, if, if they're just getting started saving, just, you know, just kind of getting to the point where I might need a financial advisor. We have a program that we, we put them on to kind of get them in, even if they haven't saved up a lot of money yet and, and really couldn't afford the services of a uh, you know, financial advisor or, or, or wouldn't be the ideal uh, client of a financial advisor, we're, we're targeting those people. We want to work with them. We're inviting them to come visit with us. We start with uh, kids of our existing clients, but it's not limited to that. Nice. So, uh, but, but primarily these are a lot of people that are coming and they're moving in uh, engineer type. Talk a little bit about, you know, the challenge. And I've talked to a gazillion financial advisors when they're working with engineers and they're the kind of like, you know, you have, you have some prospects that become clients that I just want to know what time it is. Then you have those others. They want to know how the watch works. Right. right. So that's what, that's the reputation that precedes, you know, most engineers. Has that been your experience? <laughs> uh, mostly. Um, sometimes you find the engineer that when they're in their job, they want to know how the, the watch works. But when they're with you, they just want to know what time it is because mm-hmm. money discussions bother them. That's that's maybe a minority. I, I, I think when I'm, when I'm working with an engineer, uh, I, I'm I'm prepared with a lot more detail. If I'm going to make recommendations that involve them, you know, changing what they're doing. Nobody likes change, uh, but but in, engineers will do that if it's logical. But you have to back that up, and so that's where I'll I'll train our. We've got a para planner here that does a great job, and so that's where you know sometimes I have to go back back and say, hey, we need to we need to back that assertion up a lot more, and so you know go dig up this and this and this. It just it requires more preparation. There's just no doubt about it. So how has, um, you know, some of the effect you mentioned that uh, November 2020, obviously, most of the enrichers that are listening to this, they think back. Yeah, that was a trying time for most people because of COVID. How has that, uh, you know, adversely or, you know, benefited you as far as, you know, client meetings and things of that nature? Um, or what do you how do you you know, foresee that, obviously, I know you've only been there two months, but, you know, how has that been tying in with what you used to do and what you're doing today? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is how much time we spent coaching people on how to use video conferencing. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, my parents included. So they had never heard of Zoom before that. Um, But but that was that was probably the first thing. And then, you know, learning to be prepared to adapt my style, both you know, when I do an initial interview, one of the things I'm trying to do in an initial interview is is talk about things in terms of their strategy and their goals. Uh, it's it's a big priority to try to establish some rapport and trust in a first meeting, and that gets difficult more over over the video than anything else. And so, I noticed uh, also that when uh, let me back up a second when I'm when I'm making some kind of present presentation or like a series of recommendations. That's harder to do by video as well. So that that was a little challenging. And honestly, there was a little bit of slowdown in my practice, and it gave me time to think through what I wanted as a next step because I wasn't so busy with the tyranny of the urgent. Gotcha. Um, 
And then when I got here, you know, what we have underway here at the office now is we're trying to get, we're still, the office staff still on a hybrid type schedule. And so we're, we're trying to get them back in the office full time. Um, and we're honestly trying to bring our clients back into the office a lot more. You know, once, once they figure out how easy it is to sit at home and do the meeting when on a computer screen, you, you want to, you want to bring them back in, um, you know, and, and so we're working on that too. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, you were in, and you, I know you, um, obviously uh, align with this, you're in the relationship business, right? So anytime you're building a relationship, it's usually a lot easier when you're doing that in, you know, in person, you know, you're pressing the flesh, so to speak. And, you know, you're making, you know, you're reading body language and making eye contact and and all that good fun stuff. So, um, but at the same time, right. Opportunistically speaking, you can expand your reach of who you could work with. I'm just wondering have you guys, you know, have you reached a point with your RIA that you're past outside of Alabama? You know, are you, are you, you know, uh, up to the number where the SEC, you know, you're over a hundred million of assets under management, you know, with all those advisors, I'd imagine you are. So um, th- that does give you more opportunity, does it not? Uh, it definitely does. So the, the RIA that we operate under is large. I think there are 4 billion in assets now. Okay. Uh, they're, they're, they're one of the hundred fastest growing in the country. Um, last I checked. And the, the office here is, is really just the, the team that we work in. Um, and so th- this is a pretty big for, I think we have 250 million under management right now. And it's across, I don't know, 15 States. So we're, we're able to attract, you know, the kind of the bigger base you have, it becomes, it kind of grows itself just with the normal flow of referrals. And so one of the things that's one of my focus as the practice manager here is to train us all to handle volume. Mm. And so that's why I found, you know, I mentioned one of your former guests that talks about efficiency a lot. Yep. And so I'm just, it, it, it forcing me to think through like, you know, are we prepared for volume now? What areas are we ahead in? What areas are behind in? So that's a core focus for me at the moment. Yes, scalability obviously is uh, you know critically important. And um, so, are you then working? Because I know you mentioned a little bit about management, worked about you know working directly with the clients. Are you sort of doing a little bit of both of those things now in your role? Yep. So my my role is really threefold. One is practice management. My job with that is mostly um, improving the operational efficiency of our office but also providing career paths for the people here. So I was told a long time ago by a, a guy in the Navy that everybody needs a path to promotion. Note that that's not everybody needs a promotion, but everybody needs the path to promotion uh, as, a, as a tool to stay motivated. And so that's, that's a task that's fallen to me. Um, the other part of the role is just helping with the normal day-to-day of the clients here, um, and then I merged my practice with this one. So I'm still working with the clients that I historically work with for uh, a decade or more. And so that's that's where I've got to be very, very particular. Um, you know, Tim, you mentioned ego before. One thing where I totally will set the ego aside very quickly is anybody's got, you know, any any resources I find that talk about time management or or priority management, I usually like absorb those as quickly as I can. 
Well, especially with your new role, it's 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 quite fitting because you're you're wanting to you want to improve efficiency because there's a lot more clients to deal with, obviously. Yes, so, definitely. well, thanks for sharing all that, man. We're going to take another quick break, and when we get back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about health. Let's do that when we return. Awesome. We'll be right back. You want the absolute best for yourself, and you want it to be easy. That's why we created Green 85. It helps with detoxifying the body gently. We're proud it's chemical-free, unlike almost all other supplements you'll find. Bottom line, Green 85 will get you healthier. We look forward to hearing what Green 85 did for you. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Enrichers? Tim James here. I'm back with my co-host, Carter Wilcoxon. Okay, Brock, this is where we flip the script and we get off of the wealth stuff. When we talked about your background, we talked about wealth. Now, let's maximize that wealth with your health or so what questions do you have for me, my friend? Yeah. So um, I, I think a good place to start is talk a little bit about all of us here. Sleep is really important. It's like for physical mm-hmm. function and cognitive function. Uh, but it's, it's like harder and harder, especially a guy like me that has to balance a lot of priorities. You know, uh, I've, I'm, I'm married, I've got three kids and I'm committed to being involved in, you know, helping my wife raise the kids, even though I have a busy job. And so sometimes sleep is the first casualty and it shouldn't be, but it is. And so what, what would help a lot of financial advisors, including me, I think is a reminder why that's so important. Like what does it do to your body when you don't get enough sleep? Well, my first question is like, what's happening in your life that's causing you to cut it out? Uh, I mean, it, so so if I'm really honest, it would be, you know, lack of priority management. If if we're, you know, I, I think I'm, I, th- I hope I'm speaking for a lot of people where life just is very demanding. You've got kids and my kids are 13, 11 and nine, and they've got we're carting them around to all kinds of events. And then I do some after hours events that are work related. And, you know, you get home from that late. It's just a series of things where. You know, I think I think for a lot of people, it gets harder and harder to. Um, are you are you getting less. home late then from these activities, whether it's business or with your children? Not always. Sometimes after they go to bed, you find yourself thinking like, "I want to do something I want to do for part of today," and you know, you do you you don't you don't get much leisure time day after day, and you start thinking, "Well, where can I steal some time?" And sometimes that's late at night and you're, you're, you're doing something and then you, you know, you zone out for a little while and you wake up and it's like 11 o'clock at PM, you know, and you know, if you, if you've got kids, if you're listening to this, you know, you probably make and relate. Um, you just don't feel like you have enough time to, to, to be you. Uh, so okay. it's, it leads you to tell yourself, let me take some time for me at the expense of sleep. And I know okay. that. And then what, what, what are the things that you're doing that are for you? Uh, sometimes it's watching a movie with my wife. Um, sometimes it's, um, you know, just like I, I, st- I read a lot. So I'll stay up reading. Oh, okay. Um, Reading's good. So it's not like, it's not like I'm going out with 
buddies. And I mean, I go to the occasional party, but you know, it's not like right. it, but it's, it's, you know, I get to bed at 11, 11, 30, 12. This is not every night. I'm just, you know, I know like to your question earlier, exercise really does good for cognitive function during the day. But I know sleep plays a big role in that. So I'm curious just to see what you're So is. is the latest stuff is like, is it more movie night with the wife? Is that the one that's really keeping you up? The, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's certainly a part of it. Um, work events. Uh, I end up getting home later, but you know, think eight to nine and then. Sound like seminars. Yeah. Se- yeah. Seminars or, or networking events in the community is the bigger one. Okay. All right. So to address the first one, I think, you know, scheduling date night with your wife on Friday or excuse me, that that uh, movie night mm-hmm. would probably schedule it on a night where you don't have to get up as early just in case. Right. If you're going to get to bed later, that would be smart. Not doing it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday mm-hmm. just because, you know, you have to get up and be at the office early. So scheduling would be important. Number two is like when you're getting home late, are you also eating late? Uh, sometimes guilty as charged. Okay. So quality of sleep then is going to be most important. That's what we got to really focus on here is getting quality sleep. So the question then is like, how do I get quality sleep? Because if you can get quality sleep, deep restorative sleep, and you can get into that sleep faster, um, then you're going to wake up feeling refreshed compared to what's it's, it's actually a term called shallow sleep syndrome, where a lot of people are having this where They'll get seven, eight, nine hours of sleep or 10 hours, 12 hours. They wake up exhausted and they're like, what's going on? It's because they're not getting into a deep, restive, restorative sleep. One of the reasons is because they're not exercising. You're doing that, right? So Mm -hmm. more consistent you are with that, that's good. But, you know, number one would be, let's look at the environment. Like, what's the quality of the air in your room? Do you guys have carpet in your room? No. Um. If do you guys crack your window at night and get the fresh air to come in, no matter what, um, do you guys, the best thing to do is like we have, I have like an air machine. So I have a, on my website, we carry a, a very special brand and it keeps the air super clean. We're doing 400 gallons of hour of air into our system. That's a major input. And the quality of your air is going to be reflecting your sleep. Number two would be uh, your fluid intake. So if you're, you know, number one, we have people, our, our, our coaching clients, when I'm coaching somebody, stop drinking liquids an hour prior to going to bed. That's part A. Part B is go to the bathroom before you go to bed, no matter what, even if you don't feel like you got to go. Because it will wake it can wake you up to, your, to, to urinate and stuff like that as an example. So, and we talked about this before, Native Americans used to, during wartime, if they knew they had to go to war in the morning, they didn't want to miss out. So they would all drink tons of water. So they knew they would all they'd wake up early because it would it would like wake them up. So we don't want to do that. So we avoid that. The third thing that I just mentioned was food. If you're eating late, you're destroying your sleep. You're absolutely crushing your sleep because when the food goes into the human body, it's ninety eight point six degrees. If your kitchen was at ninety eight point six degrees and you put food up on the countertop, what's going to happen to that food very quickly? <laughs> yeah, it's going to go bad. It's going to ferment. It's going to start rotting. That's what's going to happen. So when the when food goes into the stomach and you go to sleep, the body's not going to be like, "Oh, he's taking us. He's going to take it. He's going to bed. Let's just hold on to the food. We'll go into primary uh, a mechanism of sleep now. And when we get back in the morning, we'll go back to digestion. 
it's not going to happen. When that stuff comes into the digestive system, the body's primary goal is now digestion. All of your blood, everything is going into digestion. So sleep is now number two until that digestion is done. So eating late is like sleep destruction. It's just like it's the crucifix. It's bad. It's not something you would want to do. Um, it'd be better just to like mix up a can of like our greens, drink that, get the get the nutrition. Because think about it. if you eat a steak or you had eggs or you have pasta or whatever you're going to eat, pizza or maybe have a healthy meal. Even so, even if it's a healthy meal, the body still has to digest that food, and eventually to get nutrients into liquid form to get into your cells for your activities of daily living. So if that's the case, then you can use like a green powder, put it in water, shake it up and drink it, get all the nutrients. It'll be in your cells in 20 minutes and then digestion's over because this stuff's already pre-digested. So this is like a, um, it's an arrow you can pull out of your quiver and it's not going to taste like a bacon cheeseburger. So, so you're gonna have to let go. You're gonna have to let go of that. But guess what? You're gonna sleep way better, right? Just don't drink it before an hour before bed, or you know, w- within that hour. Make sure that you have an hour of your being up, and then go to the bathroom. And probably what I would do is I would drink it with less liquids. So, because I always drink mine with like 24, 28 ounces of liquid. So I'd probably go down to twelve. Do it an hour, at least an hour before I go to sleep, and then do it. Even if you have to bring it with you, and you're on your way home from the seminar, as soon as the seminar's over, you drink it. 30 minute drive, you get home, you know, 30 minutes to the wife, you get hit the, hit the rack, right? Yeah. So you want to make sure that one hour of liquids is important and don't eat anything heavy. And you have to understand foods digest at different speeds. If you have like a melon, that's going to digest and go from point A to point Z in about 15 to 30 minutes. If you go to like a fruit, that's going to be 30 minutes to an hour to digest. If you go to vegetables, that's going to be t- two and a half hours. If you go to heavier plant-based stuff like nuts and seeds and things made out of them like hummus, that could be up to three to four hours of digestion. So if you come home and you have um, and it's an hour before bed and you eat melons or fruit, you're probably going to be okay. But if you have vegetables, what's going to happen is, is like let's say it's 9 p.m. and you eat. You go to bed at 10 as an example. Your body's still going to be digestion food till like 11.30. So that between 10 and 1130, you're not even getting into sleep mode at all. You can't because your food has to digest. Now, if you had a bowl, if you had hummus with like a cracker or something like that, we're talking 11, 12, 1, 2. It's going to be 2 o'clock before your body has the ability to actually then slide into the deep restive restorative sleep. If you have meat, it's tough because meat can actually take up to 72 hours to get through the entire system. That's why it's tough. So you want to, when you're doing meat, you want to chew it really, really, really well. And we always anticipate or not anticipate, but share with people that always take digestive enzymes with it to help break them down. And we usually recommend people eat meat at lunchtime yeah. and smaller, very small portions of it at night, no later than six. So the earlier you can eat, the better. The other part of the environment on sleep is your bed. Most people's beds are crap. They're just garbage beds. And they, and they, and they might've spent a lot of money on them, right? There's beds where you can choose certain different adjustments and numbers for, for soft and firm, these air chamber mattresses, right? Those will inevitably get mold inside of them, and you're going to be breathing mold because the condensation inside, they just create mold. Um, some of these other ones will have like uh, uh, a, f- a certain type of foam. They call them memory-type foams. Mm-hmm. These are, these are, most of these are off-gassing toxic chemicals. Again, 400 gallons an hour you're breathing in while you're sleeping and during the day. 
But while you're sleeping, you're breathing that in. Um, so you have to think about these things. And then if you have a, a bed that doesn't have proper spinal support, that's going to be a problem. And then number three, if your bed is not relieving pressure points, then what will happen is, is if you're sleeping a certain way and you're getting a big pressure point on one area, what that means is, is that the, 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 the tissue is getting pushed on and blood flow is being restricted because it's getting smashed to that area. So your body's going to wake it up. So you move because it wants blood flow to go to that area because that area is kind of slowly dying at that point. I mean, that's, that's what's happening. If you push against something really hard anywhere in your body, you're going to feel it start going numb. And so pressure points are going to wake you up. It's a big reason why people wake up. And then there's all this other stuff with sleep apnea and all these other things you'd want to check out. So it's not just a, you know, an easy, like, do this, do that. So what we do is we go through one by one by one, step by step by step. We look at the environment. What's what's the air quality? What's the, we look at when you consume liquids and what you should do before, pee before you go to bed and the, the foods and the types of foods. And we look at proper food combining. And we also look at, you know, the timing of the food when you digest it. And so we deconstruct all this stuff and we slowly coach people to this. And within usually six months, they're sleeping really, really good. And I'm just touch. I'm just talking about the, tip of the iceberg here so there's a lot of different factors but getting a good quality mattress and we actually interviewed uh jason payne who was uh, formerly the owner he sold out to his business partner he's up doing other things but um i believe that i'm sleeping on the best mattress in the world and i did a year and a half worth of deep deep study before i got this bed and it's freaking awesome and everybody that's gotten one is like it's the best ever so when you're ready to get a mattress um unless you, i would just you know check it, get a hold of us or whatever, or listen to that episode, Jason Payne, uh, world's best, uh, having the world's best sleep or something like that. I can't remember the title of it. It was in my podcast, the health hero show. That would be, that would probably be very helpful for you. Terrific. Okay. Okay. I know you had another question. I mean, I go on sleep all day long. And the last thing I would say about sleep, I forgot to mention is like, it's just as important as water without water. You're dead in 11 days. Same thing with sleep. If you don't get sleep in 11 days, you die. So think about how important water is. Let's put sleep up there with, you know, just it's, it's, it gets the silver medal. It's, yeah. it's a tie for second after air because air you're dead in four to seven minutes. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. air is pretty important. That's why you want to have clean air when you're sleeping. That's why it's so important to crack your window at night. And somebody might be like, well, I live in downtown Los Angeles. Well, guess what? Your home is close to a hundred times more polluted than downtown LA from the inside because of the carpets off gassing, the paint off gassing, the glues that are put in the particle board. There's toxic chemicals coming out of uh, it's the fake wood and stuff like that. Uh, laminates, laminates and stuff like that. There's toxins everywhere. And then there's glade air fresheners, more toxic chemicals. And a lot of people are lighting candles in their home. It's like, cause they like the smell or whatever. You're actually burning oil, even if it had essential oils in it, which it does, most of them don't they have synthetic chemicals. It's like people run away from forest fires. So why would we burn something in our home? That's why if you're going to have a candle lit, you better have a damn good air purification system. Even if it's a non-GMO soil-based candle with essential oils in it, right? It'd be smarter to just use a diffuser and put essential oils in there. And then it becomes, instead of harmful, it becomes medicinal. It becomes medicinal, right? Yeah. But I get it. Candles are kind of cool. They set an ambiance. You know, I get it. But there's little fake candles now that do the same thing. So <laughs> you can get the look. Yeah, get the look, yeah, get the feel. Get the look. Uh, yes, yeah, second, so, second question. Um, kind of related to exercise and metabolism. So, you know, if, if you take me, you know, playing soccer or mountain biking or whatever I'm doing that, 
you need to prepare your body for those activities, I find, especially at the age I'm getting to. And so that that has a sleep component, but it also has a um, what you put in your body. And so I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the makeup of, you know, how to get the most out of your diet in preparation for exercise. I hear or read that, you know, that there's a specific um, kind of exercise zone as- associated with what kind of fuel your body's burning. And so can, can you talk a little bit about that? I guess my, my question is, you know, how best to prepare for vigorous activity, what types of foods to eat and what type to, what types to avoid? Well, I, you know, that question's, it's, I'll just say this. So if somebody is exercising more than somebody that's not, um, then they're going to just need a little bit more fuel, right? So you're going to eat a little bit more, but it's about what you're eating, right? So if you're wanting to have them, you want to maximize not just your exercise and your performance on the soccer field in your situation, or maybe some people play tennis or maybe they play golf. A lot of financial advisors are golfing. Okay. Um, Carter. Rumor has that. Rumor it's has like that. I brought up golf today. I almost made it through the whole damn show that talking about golf. No, I, I have no, I have no reservations. I, I, I like playing golf too. So I just don't do it that much, but it's fun. I love hitting things. I've always, I played baseball for 30 years. So love hitting, hitting balls. Um, but it doesn't matter what sport it is. It's like, um, in in that in that situation, you're going to be burning some more calories, right? You're going to be needing more fuel, and it's not just your body, but the mental stuff. So, as a financial advisor, you guys have to understand that most of your energy is being burnt through the day by your brain, right? A lot of energy is being used for brain power, and so with that being said, the same foods that apply to energy um, apply to longevity. It's all about the quality of the life, right? So. What are these foods? They're the foods that are closest to nature, that are closest to the dirt, that are closest to the sun and the water, right? With the least amount of processing. I just had Dr. Joan Ifland on my show, and we we talked about there's 1.6 million Americans are dying from processed foods every year annually. Think about that. That's like, that's, you know, 9-11 happened, guys, and that was like 2,996 people died on 9-11. Today's we're actually recording this on uh, September 12th, the day after 9-11, right? And everybody was like, oh, my God, 9-11, all those people died, and they saw the buildings come down. It was horrible. Well, processed food, uh, it's over 4,300 a day are dying from processed food in this country, and it's legal, and it's legal. And you keep going down there, and you keep buying these processed foods because they have they have hijacked your your brain and your, and your receptor sites, and they're putting stuff in the food, and they got you. They they got their hooks into you, and so these foods are very addictive, and um, they're destroying your health, and they're killing they're killing people. And you're gonna have a crappy quality of life along the along the way because if you eat processed foods, you know this. Have you ever had crappy food, um, Brock, and then went out and played soccer compared to eating healthy and playing soccer? You feel a little different, maybe. It doesn't do well. Yeah, it doesn't do well at all, right? So what you it's inputs. Your body is a system and the, the quality of those inputs. So to answer your question, fresh is best. The freshest possible food you can get that's grown in the most nutrient-dense soils. That's what you want. 
So the closer you can get to that, that would be the foundational step. If you're going to look at like, what should I eat? What should I feed my family for, for exercise, for longevity, for beautiful skin and happy kids that sleep well and don't get sick and have good immune systems and don't need to go get, you know, all this other stuff done to them. It's fresh food. So this is where making your health becomes a priority, right? Is you have to make this a priority, make your food a priority. You can, but once you get these in, things in place, it's just all day long. It's just like everything else, just like tying your shoes. Tying your shoe was very difficult when you first started as a kid, right? You're like, oh my God, how do I do this? Like, and now it's like, you can be talking to somebody else, you tie your shoe and you go, but you don't even think about it because you've hardwired it. You want to get your lifestyle, to, if you want to reset your lifestyle or, or, or you want to hardwire this, to, but to do that, you're going to have to take action. You're going to have to make it into a lifestyle. You're going to have to, it's going to be a little bit difficult in the beginning. So we always recommend, you know, the first step is buying fresh, is buying from local farmers and, and supporting them and making, talking to them and going to farmers markets and saying, do you spray? Cause I go to the local farmers markets here in Eastern Oregon and half of them are still spraying chemicals. Well, I ain't buying their stuff. I just tell them like, if you guys stop spraying, I'll buy from you. Well, we have these bugs and you can't kill them. And it's like, Maybe you should ask a different question. How can I make this grow better without it? And if we, the consumers, start demanding food from nature without the processing and without all the stuff in between, then there'll be more of a demand for it and more people will buy it. And then those those farmers will make more money and will will change everything. That's how you vote with your dollars. And then you, you won't be as sick because if you eat those crappy foods that are sprayed with chemicals, it's it's just a matter of time before it's it's one of the contributing factors that it's leading to cancer. I mean, cancer causing chemicals that are in your body cause cancer. <laughs> it's just that that's how they work. So why are we buying things that that have those in them that go into our bodies that cause cancer? Because we don't know, we don't have the awareness, or we're too lazy, or it tastes good. They've hijacked our our, our neural pathways. So we have to be smart about this. So I always recommend you should be start growing your own food. Like you can grow sprouts in your house, dude, like lentils, mung beans, and fenugreek as an example, especially lentils and mung beans. Easy. Two and a half days, they're ready. You can grow them in your countertop, no soil, no nothing, just with jars, and you can start throwing living foods. Dr. Clement told me years ago, they've had many um, Olympians come to their institute. This is where I started my whole journey. And he said, we've helped quite a few of them uh, win gold medals. And so... You would think that somebody running the 100 meter would need to like have all this food and stuff. They're going to eat this super healthy food and all this food before the race. And so they're all charged up. Not the case. What they actually have them do is they get them on completely just juice, nutrient-dense juices and green juices a day, sometimes two days before their event. So sometimes these Olympic-level athletes actually haven't even had heavy food for two days. Why? Because they're taking zero energy from digestion, and it's all going to their extremities to run that race or do whatever their pole vault or whatever they got going on, right? Mm -hmm. And so, But their body's getting the nutrients on the cellular level without the burden of digestion. Now, this might be something you want to do on the days that you have to speak. If you, have, if you guys are doing seminars and stuff like that or if you have mm -hmm. to speak, that would be a day where you – you would might think about maybe I'll make that day my liquid nourishment day during the week where I'm not eating heavy foods. I'm just doing pure liquid nourishment, which is actually one of our strategies that we teach people one day a week, no heavy food. But usually that's step two. The first step is getting rid of breakfast and replacing heavy breakfast with liquid nourishment breakfast. That's going to be a game changer for most people listening. Um, the only people we caution that with are people that are type two diabetic 
bulimic or anorexic, we don't want to give them permission slips. But type 2 diabetics have to kind of watch their blood sugars. They might have to eat like monolithic foods, like just a bowl of quinoa or a green leafy salad in the mornings until they can transition. Okay, so back to that. So fresh foods, growing your own sprouts at home, basil, that kind of stuff. You should be growing tons of herbs. Getting living foods into your body is going to be very important because we are nature and we're not out picking our food and eating it off the land anymore. And where our food's coming from, the skin of the earth has been raped, so there's not a lot of nutrients in it. So this is where supplementation comes into place. Today, it's not even an, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. It's not in the food chain. And then, so if it's not in the soil, it won't be in the plant or in the animal that you're eating that ate that plant. Or if you eat the plant directly, it's not going to be in you, right? So we have to supplement today more than any anything. So that's usually where we meet people, you know, usually telling people like, you need to grow your own sprouts. They're like, dude, I don't even have enough energy to work out. I'm barely, I'm barely holding my life together. So what we've done is we just, we get them to drink more water and we start them off cleaning up their digestive tract, their gut with our gut detox product, cleaning up their blood, fat and muscle tissue of the chemicals and the toxins and the heavy metals with toxin detox and then drinking it all down with greens. That's usually how we start people now. It's like baby steps. Okay. In the morning, you're going to take three of these and three of these and wash it down with that and then go about your day. Yeah. And see what happens. And we start building on that. And Carter, you can speak to what happens when somebody does this process where it takes less than two minutes in the beginning. It's a baby step. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it, uh, it, it completely changed your life. I mean, me and my wife every single morning, you know, Christina, um, one of my jobs is I wake up, I clean the kitchen, right? I make sure it's spotless and everything. So whenever, you know, she, cause she, she cooks every single night, right? In fact, tonight is taco night. So when we get when I get home, it's taco night. I'm going to eat early because I don't eat late. I don't have my cell phone next to my bed because I keep that away from my bed so I can sleep better. Um, just giving you a couple of things that you know yeah. Tim, Tim's taught me, right? But you know, every single morning we have an eight ounce glass with one scoop of green eighty five every single morning with our supplements, right? Um, and that's that's just what we have every single morning. And it helps with, you know, digestion. It helps with sex drive. It helps with um, uh, weight loss, you know, energy level, you know, all of that stuff. And that's I mean, I remember the first time I met Tim. Tim's like, dude, I don't know if you can get all my stuff because you've already got a lot of energy. But it, it absolutely helps with the like the brain fog and, you know, all those things that uh, uh, typically do hurt us because of our environment that we're living in. Um, and, but me, I mean, I, I don't know what I would do. There's been many occasions in the last, you know, two and a half years that have run out of green 85. And I'm like, oh, I got to get that stat because I, it's like, it's a daily part of my life. And a lot of times, you know, Tim just suggested it to you before I go to bed, you know, an, an hour, at least before I go to bed, I'll have a, 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 you know, another eight ounce glass of the green 85 and it helps me sleep better through the night. The other thing that Tim taught me is from time to time, me and my wife will out, go out, we'll have a nice dinner at the country club, we'll have a bottle of wine, right? And I can't quite digest that alcohol as well as I used to when I was younger. But in the morning time, after I've had, you know, uh, maybe I've had a nightcap too, the first thing I do, that's the most important time when I take the Green 85 on a Saturday morning is because it actually helps with hangovers too. Anyway, just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We've actually had I had I've had people call it the hangover cure, so I should probably market it that would sell a lot more. <laughs> Screw your health, just get your right. Hangover. Probably not consistent with your message, but you might sell more, right? Probably. 
Oh, sad, sad the way we humans work. I, I asked that question because I, you know, I, I you grow up hearing that if you're going to go, if you're going to go run or bike or play soccer, you know, you need to fuel up and the suggested fuels are, you know, white processed pasta, you know, no, that's, so sports let, drinks. So what you want to do is like for, for athletes, if you're doing this kind of stuff, you want to get into sprouted nut butters sprouted nut butter so like you can mix up green 85 you could put sprouted nut butters there's a company called blue mountain organics i promote them all the time and they have all kinds of different sprouted butters and once you've identified the ones you like i would recommend sprouted walnut butter and sprouted almond butter is my top two especially for athletes the walnut butter is even better um and then you can buy it in like 10 pound or 40 pound like a five gallon bucket i just got my five gallon bucket full of sprouted walnut butter and so i take it with water and I put it in a blender and I go in five seconds, you want to minimally blend it. That sprouted nut butter is a hundred to 800 times more nutritious than regular nuts that have not been soaked and sprouted because they've been activated. Cause that, that nut is now going into starting the process of growing into a huge tree. That's going to make thousands of nuts. And that power of that whole tree is locked in that nut and you've unlocked it. You put that into your body, that's going to help out. So you can not only eat it, eat it with celery, whatever, get it and mix it, whatever. You can. You see people that eat the butters and stuff mm-hmm. as a as a as like a runner. Do the sprouted stuff. It's going to be way better. We also have people that are wanting to gain muscle or athletes. Take Green 85, make that sprouted nut milk with two ingredients, sprouted nuts and water. No bullshit, no other crap in there. You know it's clean. And then you you blend it. Then you add the green 85, shake the green 85 and don't blend green 85 because you'll kill the, the life force in it and then drink it. You have now a complete meal replacement, like complete. And so there you go. That'll give you plenty of fuel for your for your soccer games. You can mix that up with some sprouted nut butters. And that's and, and, and I would take also take Super Soldier. That was what I was going to tell you before. We actually have a performance, massive antioxidant performance enhancing fulvic humic that um, if you do that, I mean, we've had substantial change like fighters have completely they turn into a new fighter um uh aj uh puck he's the closing pitcher for the miami marlins he's one of my clients he he's like dude uh, he's like the greens are awesome and all that he goes but that super soldier stuff man he's like when i take that he goes my cardio is just like it's like i'm not even doing it now he's like that stuff's insane and so it's really good for performance and um and cardiovascular um stamina which is really important on the soccer field because you guys are running your butts off Tell me about it. And just F- FYI, it says two, but you know the the athletes are taking four of them twice a day. That's what the athletes kind of the athlete dose of that product. So okay, super soldier. Yep, it's in there. You'll see it. Awesome. And then just let us know how good you feel. You can leave reviews on the website and stuff like that. I'll give you some feedback. And you can do a video review now. We have that on there, and you get credits. We give Carter. Did you know that? Should get in there. Have you and Christina start leaving some reviews on every product that you like, and you just get store credits, store credits for every review, and the video reviews pay even more. Okay. Well, now yeah. I know. Thanks. Thanks for <laughs> summer. <laughs> well, we just put it together. It's only been there two weeks, so I know it's working working properly now. So let's do it. Okay. All right. Cool. Awesome. Um, do you have anything else that you want to you know ask before we let you get going? I know it's late in the evening out there in Alabama, so. Uh, I, I can't think of anything. I mean, we've hit it. And Tim, awesome. thank you for that feedback. You're welcome. I'm yeah, excited hey, to hear about you running around the soccer field like a 20-year-old. Yeah, yeah hey, make, 
yeah, make sure you share with us, you know, any type of feedback. That'd be great. Or you drop me an email or whatever, too. That'd be awesome. I don't know that I'm running like a 20-year-old. <laughs> Maybe I'm aiming at mimicking it would be the put in the best light. Is that fair? You might be surprised. You get on those products and get that little sauna that we use, and you'll be surprised how good you feel and how fast you recover. I did I did ask that because I, I stopped feeling the way I'd been taught growing up, and I started just eating a bunch of fresh vegetables. Mm-hmm. And that I don't know that that's the perfect fuel, but it helped a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Know? So I'm like, wait a second. I don't think this is right. Eat things from nature. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Go figure. Exactly. Go figure. Exactly. It's already what we needed all along is already here. Yep. Thanks a lot, Brock. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Tim Carter, yeah. thank you. Been great. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, and Richards, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Health and Wealth Podcast. And to be able to see all of our previous guests, like Brock Eason, you can go to our website at www.thehealthandwealthpodcastshow.com and make sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, Podbean, whatever that may be. So for my fantastic co-host, Mr. Chemical Free Body himself, Tim James, I'm Carter Wilcox and CEO and founder of CSI Financial Group and Epic Services, wishing you all a wonderful day. Brock, seriously, so much enjoyment having you come in here, share with us, you know, your backstory and everything. And it's been a great joy having you on as a guest today. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. So, in Richards, until next time, we will see you on the Health and Wealth Podcast Show. Thank you, everybody. Hey, in Richards, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Health and Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Wilcoxon. And I'm your host, Tim James. And by God, we are committed to helping you guys have fat wallets, flat bellies. So, tune in again for another episode and make sure to like, share, and drink a lot of water or beer. You have just listened to the Health and Wealth Podcast with Carter and Tim.